I'm Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're exploring the recent outbreak of a new coronavirus originating in Wuhan, China. On December 31st, Chinese authorities alerted the World Health Organization that they were monitoring a series of patients exhibiting pneumonia-like symptoms in the central Chinese city of Wuhan. Experts quickly determined that the patients contracted a previously unseen type of coronavirus. Coronaviruses are a large family of viruses that circulate in animals and in rare cases like this are transmitted to humans. Beijing wants to avoid a repeat of the 2003 SARS outbreak. That was a coronavirus that killed hundreds of people, cost billions of dollars, and severely damaged China's international reputation. On this occasion, the Chinese government reacted by swiftly isolating sick patients and mandating the reporting of new cases. Those efforts, among others, have drawn praise from the WHO. At the same time, however, there's been some criticism of the Chinese government over insufficient transparency and likely underestimation of the true number of cases. As of today, January 27th, the outbreak has infected 2,918 people and killed 82 individuals. Cases have already spread to 12 countries, including five cases in the United States. To discuss the current Wuhan coronavirus outbreak, the Chinese government's response, and the implications for future public health crises, I'm joined by Dr. Yanjung Huang. Dr. Huang is a senior fellow for global health at the Council on Foreign Relations. He's also professor and director of global health studies at Seton Hall University's School of Diplomacy and International Relations. Dr. Huang, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. The WHO praised the Chinese government for isolating and sequencing this virus very quickly and for sharing its information with the WHO and the international community. Now, how would you evaluate Beijing's response to the outbreak? Has China been fully transparent and forthcoming after this outbreak was detected? Yes, the government indeed is more cooperative this time than uh, during the SARS outbreak in terms of sharing the disease-related information with the international community. And it also seems to have uh, increased its uh, ability in terms of uh, rapidly isolating and sequencing the uh, etiological agent called the cause of the outbreak. That is also different from uh, the SARS outbreak, uh, where the Chinese scientists initially did, uh, identified the etiological agent as chlamydia, uh, which is a bacteria, <laughs> not a virus. And uh, it was the Canadian scientists uh, who did the job of isolating and sequencing uh, the coronavirus. You know. So uh, in that regard, I think uh, we have seen improvement from China in terms of its surveillance and response capacity uh, in dealing with an outbreak you know, like this one we are seeing. But in the first stage of the outbreak, that is from December 8th, when the first case of the coronavirus was detected, and January 20th, you know, when the Chinese government decided to launch a crusade against the outbreak, we've seen actually at the local level at least, there was indeed cover-up and also inaction 
that the Wuhan government failed to share the disease-related information with the public, and also they failed to take uh, effective actions to stem the spread of the virus. You know, that unfortunately caused the rapid spread of the virus in other parts of the country, as well as in Wuhan, you know, that led the government to uh, take more draconian measures in dealing with the outbreak. How do you assess the reaction of the local levels and the central authorities? Do you think that the central authorities should have established a leading small group to deal with this earlier than it did? Is there blame that should be put on the local government in terms of how it reacted? Well, I don't know. We still don't know uh, exactly how the uh, central government and the local government communicated in terms of sharing the disease-related information. We do know uh, that uh, there were important meetings during this time in the first stage of the outbreak in Wuhan that the government, the local government, uh, in order not to ruin the atmosphere for that important event, decided not to report the actual situation. So we don't know whether local government has shared the actual situation with the central government, but it was very clear that by January 18th, the government got that impression you know, that something unusual was going on, you know, that uh, something had to be undertaken to effectively tackle the outbreak. You know, so the Senate investigation team that arrived in Wuhan on the 18th, you know, the team was led by the China's South Crusader, Dr. Zhong Nanshan. You know, so that uncovered the actual situation there that triggered the nationwide campaign against the virus. So you've written about China's response to SARS, and uh, one of the things that you said was that initially China's response to SARS was a combination of inaction, denial, and deception. So if we look back at that episode, what are the things that China learned, the lessons they learned after that outbreak? What are the measures that you think that they took in terms of preparing for crisis management for future outbreaks that you see implemented now in this crisis 17 years later? Well, in the wake of the SARS outbreak, it was clear that the government had invested significantly in improving the disease surveillance and response capacities, you know, that they built uh, the world's largest surveillance network, you know, that web-based reporting system allowed the grassroots public health officials to report any unusual disease outbreak directly to uh, the central CDC. It also has implemented the new disease prevention control law you know, that encouraged transparency in reporting the disease in a timely and accurate manner. But if you compare uh, this current outbreak with the South outbreak in terms of the actual government response, especially uh, the government response at the local level, we found that the pattern of inaction, that pattern of cover-up continued. And unfortunately, we don't see any fundamental changes uh, in the pattern of the government response. What do you think were some of the steps that 
they should have taken that they didn't take? And how do you view the decision to quarantine uh, Wuhan and so many other cities? Some people are saying that was the right move, and others are saying that you know maybe the horse was already out of the barn. Five million people have or had already left Wuhan, and that this quarantine might actually make it more difficult to get food and medical supplies in. So do you think we'll look back on some of these decisions and say, wow, they actually really made big mistakes? Well, we know that. Uh, I think uh, we have to acknowledge uh, that for a novel uh, disease outbreak like this, you know, this takes time, you know, to understand, you know, what that is, you know, how virulent it is, how uh, contagious it is, how dangerous it is. I think it is understandable, you know, that uh, it took some time for it to respond effectively to the outbreak at the local level. But there's some strange things going on that led us to suspect that there's cover-up seems to be intentional. For example, like 15 healthcare workers, you know, were infected and the government choose not to report and share that information with the public, you know, for fear that this is going to be going to contradict what they have announced, that this is not a very serious outbreak. There's no evidence of human-to-human transmission. You know, they haven't also, they, they were unable to take effective measures in terms of preparing for the outbreak. For example, learned that the healthcare workers were infected you know, and uh, there was more patients you know, seeking medical assistance at the local hospitals. You know, at least they could have started to educate the people you know, about the raise awareness about the disease and to also prepare for the outbreak in terms of asking people to wear masks, for example. Uh, this is the least they could do. But unfortunately, even on January 20th, Xi Jinping launched that campaign against the Wuhan virus. You know, majority of the people in the city still, like, uh, had no idea how serious, you know, the virus was. And, uh, you know, few people were wearing masks. So in terms of the Chinese government's communication with the public. I'm curious what they're being told and and how the public is receiving the messages. If we look on social media like WeChat, what is the public saying? Do they have confidence in the ability of the government and the party to care for the sick, to prevent the virus uh, from spreading? Mm-hmm. Well, in the very beginning of the outbreak, I had this experience when I raised this issue and in the WeChat group of my high school classmates. Some of them actually were very confident uh, in the government ability, you know, to uh, take care of everything. And I said, our, you know, healthcare, public health system function well, very transparent, you know, there's really nothing to worry about, you know. And of course, you know, that uh, it's not the case. But now, when the government launched this crusade against the Wuhan virus, you know, in a draconian manner, and uh, that uh, sort of also uh, beef up the, the government uh, to some way, the people's confidence in the government, you know, that uh, many people, I believe, uh, believe that the government is doing the right thing, and that they're going to take care of everything, and the virus is going to burn out, and everything's going to be back to normal. 
Is there any potential if this really gets out of hand, and of course we know the number of deaths so far pales in comparison to just sort of the normal annual flu, <laughs> but if it really did uh, spread widely in China, if there were an assessment that the government had not handled it well, does this have implications for Xi Jinping's um, reputation, for his ability maybe to stay in power beyond uh, two terms, even though the two-term limit has been uh, eliminated from the uh, Constitution? Is this a legitimacy question for the party? Well, it is. I think it's a legitimacy question, you know, but uh, these things could go both uh, in both directions. It could help uh, boost his legitimacy if he uh, fight a victorious war on the virus. You know, this indication that during the South outbreak, actually after the South outbreak, you know, there was a survey in four Chinese cities asking about people's confidence in the government. Actually, more than 80% of the people said their confidence in the government actually increased uh, after the outbreak. Uh, so that could represent the opportunity for uh, President Xi for uh, boosting his legitimacy. But in the meantime, I think uh, there's also the possibility that they might undermine uh, the uh, the party's legitimacy base. You know that depends on basically developments in the biological and the political world. We uh, still need to keep a close eye on the uh, spread of the virus in Wuhan and uh, in other parts of China. Uh, now uh, we still don't have a clear idea exactly what's the uh, reproductive number of the virus in terms of how contagious it is. You know, some say that the so-called ANOT number could be higher than six. Uh, that means one person who is infected on average could infect another six people. So if that is the case, we're going to see the continuous spread of the virus, you know, you know, even though that virulence probably has not changed or become actually uh, attenuated. So the worst problem is yet to come. You know, the cases could exceed 8,000, you know, so that's more than uh, the SARS infection cases. Then you look at the developments in the political world, you know, that is how the society uh, would respond to the outbreak and also the government response, you know, that very often we know that the negative impact is not necessarily health-related. It's more uh, caused by this fear, this uncertainty, the panic associated with the uh, measures, you know, being taken by the government or the society you know, when they try to socially distancing from each other, you know, when the government tried to impose those quarantine measures, you know, that caused huge impact for people's normal well-being and also overwhelming uh, the uh, healthcare system, you know, that uh, is going to also be translated into the impacts on the economy. You know, so uh, we are going to expect uh, these short-term shocks 
on the Chinese economy, which is already slowing down. And that, you know, if you consider all those impacts like the African swine fever and the impact on the economy, you know, and all these things add up, uh, it's going to shave the Chinese GDP by a significant percentage. It's going to have an impact on the Communist Party's legitimacy, which happens to be performance-based and rooted on delivering uh, economic growth. I wanted to ask a question about Taiwan, and obviously pandemics don't respect borders. And early on in this uh, health crisis, uh, Taiwan apparently requested to send two health specialists to Wuhan, and Beijing uh, permitted them uh, to visit to gather information about the outbreak. At the same time, however, we know Taiwan wasn't able to attend an emergency WHO summit on the coronavirus outbreak. Taipei claims that it doesn't receive information as quickly as it should, because, of course, it isn't a member and no longer is a, an observer even of WHO. Right. Is this a problem? Should it be rectified uh, in the future? Well, it potentially is a problem, you know, that when Ma Ying-jeou became the president, mainland China and Taiwan, they reached, you know, like understanding, you know, that allowed Taiwan you know, to the observer in the World Health Assembly, that's the executive body of the World Health Organization. And then, you know, the Tsai Ing-wen, you know, that the second year he uh, was in office, you know, China realized that Tsai was not going to change her mind and <laughs> change her pro-independence agenda. Uh, so they exerted pressure probably uh, not to invite in Taiwan you know, to participate in the World Health Assembly. But this time, you know, they invited the two observers from Taiwan you know, to mainland China, I think, uh, for some uh, information exchange. And to be honest, I don't know to what extent uh, that uh, Taiwan's absence to WHO would uh, significantly uh, impede uh, Taiwan's access to disease-related uh, information, because uh, uh, I don't know exactly how, how the WHO decision-making and information-sharing operates. So if China fails to effectively contain the outbreak, and if we see that it spreads uh, much more widely uh, around the world, do you think that this could have consequences for China's international reputation? Would it affect its ability to maybe have leadership positions in the WHO or other multilateral organizations going forward? How do you think that might manifest itself? Yeah, I think one of the lessons China learned from uh, the uh, South outbreak is that you can no longer just uh, rely on you know one country you know, to fight a disease outbreak that has international concern. That is why when Jiabao said, you know, that China's international reputation is at stake during the SARS outbreak. And now I think if the, the, this virus run out of the control and we saw the rapid spread of the virus in other countries, you know, that is going to, I think, a deal severe blow to the international reputation, especially 
uh, given that the World Health Organization just uh, delayed the uh, declaration of the Wuhan coronavirus as a public health emergency of international concern. I think uh, the uh, implicit deals that uh, you know China is going to be able to take care of its this outbreak itself, you know, that they can't, you know, they, uh, international society has to step in. This is the second time, of course, SARS being the first, uh, that a coronavirus that originated, you know, probably in bats jumped to another animal and then uh, to humans. And I think it's not certain yet. It hasn't been confirmed, but there is some speculation that it started at a wet market called the uh, Huanan market in Wuhan. So this is a larger, really, food security issue. What are the steps that China should take going forward to prevent this from happening again? Well, yeah, you're right. And both the coronavirus SARS and the Wuhan virus, they have a very likely a common animal origin. They trace that to bats. You know, the bats may be just like the vector, you know, for spreading the virus. You know, if you think about the animal source, it could be a civic cat, you know, it could be anything else. Unfortunately, I doubt we will be able to find the actual the animal origin this time because according to a leading virologist in Hong Kong, he went to Wuhan trying to identify the animal source without success. He said all these traces of the animal source have been eliminated when the government shut down that animal market on January 1st. So what does China need to do now to establish itself as a more responsible player in global health once this crisis is overcome and uh, they can look forward and think about how to strengthen uh, not only domestic regulations and practices, but also cooperation in the, in the sort of global health arena. What can China do? What should China do? Well, I think probably the government should consider putting in place regulations strictly uh, prohibiting this habit of eating wild animals. Because after SARS, there's certain regulations in place, but obviously it was not uh, strictly enforced. Uh, and uh, we found this a lot of those animals, live animals, wild animals, still on the wet market in Wuhan. But of course, it's not just Wuhan. In many parts of China, that is the case. You know, so hopefully uh, this outbreak could teach the Chinese a lesson. You know that uh, it really doesn't make sense to risk your life <laughs> and risk other people's lives to eat the wild animals. You know, I think that China, in order to be a responsible player in internationally, I think they should strictly regulating the animal market and uh, educate the people. And uh, secondly, I think China could be more transparent and more open government, you know, by implementing a mechanism, you know, that encourage local governments you know, to uh, respond to the disease outbreak in a more timely and effective manner. Well, that, of course, you know, it's, it's easy said and done because it has something to do with the political uh, institutions, you know, and the uh, renewal of its legitimacy basis. Thirdly, something that China could do uh, to collaborate with international societies to maybe help uh, revising 
or strengthening the international health regulations. You know, that was revised the last time in 2005 to, to encourage the uh, use of uh, non-government source of the information uh, in WHO decision-making and also to strengthen the uh, international health regulations so that uh, it could be more effective in uh, dealing with the outbreaks, especially in the initial stage of the virus was in its initial stage. Well, we'll all be watching closely China's actions and policies uh, to handle this health crisis, which is still evolving. We are really pleased that you were able to join us today. We've been talking with Dr. Yan Zhonghuang, who is a senior fellow for global health at the Council of Foreign Relations and a professor and director of global health studies at Seton Hall University. Thank you so much again, Dr. Huang. Thank you, Bonnie, for having me. 